Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. We're going to talk this morning about the restoration of John Mark. And we're going to uh, the Gospel of Mark as we're going to look at his story. But we're in the process of telling stories. Uh, Pastor Ben last week opened it up and said in the, every restoration story has four points, has the creation part, then it has the destruction part, then the redemption part, and the restoration part. So we're going to look at a story of restoration in the New Testament. As we go to the Gospel of uh, Mark, uh, chapter 14, we're going to look at verses 50 to 52. We're jumping right into the middle of the Passion Week, which we're celebrating this week as it is. Uh, and sometime during this week, Thousands of years ago, over 2,000 years ago, this story happened where Jesus, excuse me, was in the garden. I'm good. Jesus was in the garden and he was being betrayed and the soldiers were coming. And then all the, all the disciples started to run away. And then we have this story. Good. Uh, Mark 14, verse 50. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment, was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Now, this is the only gospel of the four gospels that has this account. And historically, everyone agrees that this is the writer inserting himself into the story anonymously. So we have John Mark right here in the story. He was the young man. How old was he? Not sure probably 13 or 14 years old, and he's there in the middle of the night, and I take that back. I will take my water here. <coughs> there he's, he's in the middle of the night, and something's happening there. Uh, he is watching the event as Jesus is being betrayed. Now, he's there. Why is a young boy, 13 to 14, in the middle of the night, midnight, hanging around, watching what Jesus and his disciples are doing. Well, we're not sure. Bible doesn't really say, but here's this guy, John Mark, right there. So the next uh, uh, count of his life, we're going to go into Acts. If you keep your Bibles open, we're just going to go into Acts and look at a couple verses here in Acts. Acts chapter 12. This is the next account of John Mark, and this is about 10, 11 years later. The year is 44. Uh, and in verse 11, it says, Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel. What happened? Peter was in jail, and there was a prayer meeting going on at a house. And they were saying, Oh, God, deliver Peter. Don't let him die like James did the other day. Help, help Peter, Lord. And so an angel comes and delivers him out of jail. He goes to the house. He's knocking at the door. And he says, now I know the Lord has delivered me and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. 12. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. What does this tell us about this young man, John Mark? He's raised in the church. The church is being birthed right now, and he's right in the middle of it. Peter is coming to his house and knocking on his door, his, him and his, and his mom. The other apostles are well known in John Mark's house. Here's a young man. 
How many of you grew up in church? Let me see your hand. Anybody grow up in church? Yeah. Okay, you you relating here with John Mark and his beginning. How many of you didn't grow up in church? All right, you don't have a clue what John Mark is going through right here now. How many of you aren't going to raise your hand no matter what I ask? Okay, all right, so here we have John Mark raised in church, and he's, I kind of think he's got like the silver spoon in his mouth. He's the young man. Everything, everybody looks at him, and yeah, he's got a future. This kid's got potential. This is John Mark, you know. He's, his, his house, it's him and his mom, and man, his cousin is the apostle Barnabas, and he knows everybody, and this kid is connected. And so we see that he's right there in the beginning of the church. Let's go down to verse 25. Acts 12, verse 25, says, When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. So this is the same year. And so now Barnabas and Paul, Saul at that time, are going to go uh, from Jerusalem up to Antioch. Now, if you visualize the map of the New Testament, we've got the Mediterranean Sea. We've got Israel and Jerusalem over here right above it would be Syria and the town of Antioch where they're going. To the left of that would be an island, Cyprus, and above that would be Turkey. So we hear now, we see that Barnabas and Paul are going to go from Jerusalem up to Antioch. And so they look around and say, hey, kid, John Mark, you want to go with us? I so relate with that guy right at that moment. I was in high school, Kearney High School. Any Kearney High people here? What's the matter with you guys? Aren't you local people? I am local here. Okay. How about Hoover High? How about uh, Madison? Any? No, okay, whatever. All you guys didn't go to the right school. All right, and so... Uh, I, I was in high school and I was here in town and, and so uh, my pastor said to me one day, he says, hey Steve, I got to take a couple week trip up to LA, do some church business, be in some meetings, preach a little bit. Do you want to hang out with me? Huh? Get out of high school? Go with you? Are you kidding me, pastor? I am there, man. I'm, I'm feeling like I'm hot stuff here. I'm invited to go with a pastor. And we went, had a great trip. Well, here is this young man, John Mark, Barnabas and Saul look at him. Hey, kid, you've been watching your P's and Q's. This is really good. You want to travel with us? Wow, can I? Whoa, I see his eyes, man. He's probably early 20s now, and he's going to go with them on this trip. So they go up to Antioch together. Now, chapter 13. Let's look at chapter 13. Saul and Barnabas are going to be sent. Now, Saul's name is going to be changed in this chapter to Paul, but for right now, he's still called Saul. Verse 2. 13, 2 of Acts, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus, the island. When they arrived at Salamis on the east coast of the island, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues, traveling across the island. And oh, by the way, John was with them as their helper, the NIV says. King James says, minister. The Greek word there for helper or minister literally is under oarsman. It's a term that came from the slave ships. When the slaves would be under and they would be rowing the boat, they were the slaves under oarsmen. This term was used here for John Mark. Hey, John, want to go with us? Sure, sure. You're going to be the under oarsman. 
Right. Okay. So they go off. Now the story goes, they travel through the island of Cyprus in chapter 13. And then come down to verse 13. In chapter, in verse 13 now, the team had gone through the island. They got on a boat and they're going north to the nation of Turkey, what's Asia Minor. And they're going to go north up there. Now here's verse 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Can we have the drums? Boom, 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 or the bass or whatever it is. Here's something dramatic is going on with John. He now leaves the team. It doesn't seem that way according to the narrative. John left, so big deal. But it was a big deal. Right at this point, something happens where John Mark shoots himself in the foot. The destruction part of his restoration story takes place right here. He leaves the team. It's going to be big. It's going to be dramatic. Why did he leave? Theologians have wondered this for years, 2,000 years, since the Bible doesn't say why John Mark left. We're left to suppose why he made this drastic mistake and left the apostolic team. Hmm. Could it have been that he was lonely? Where did he go? He went back to Jerusalem. Who's living in Jerusalem? His mom. So maybe he was lonely for mom's cooking, you know, for mom, mom's cooking. And just maybe he's homesick and I I just want to go home. Maybe that was it. Maybe pride crept into the issue. Man, he's the kid with the silver spoon, right? I mean, he's the up-and-coming kid. He's the kid with potential in the church in Jerusalem. And hey, he out of all the other kids, he was chosen to go with the apostles to Antioch and now on their first missionary trip. Yeah, yeah, and then what is he doing? He's an under-oarsman. <laughs> I'm somebody. Why do I have to do this servile work? You know, what, what, where's the servants at? I, I didn't sign on for this stuff. Maybe he was fearful. Now, what the Bible doesn't tell us, but history books tell us, is that little place where they landed in southern Turkey is at the mouth of a river. And it was notoriously treacherous. And it was a, uh, a, a river that came from a plateau of about 30,000 feet elevation. And this river here coming down, emptying right there, was... A few years ago, a scene of where a Roman general brought an army and they decided to go down this ravine to the beach and he landed with an entire army of many thousands and he ended up at the beach with only 25. Bandits had, had uh, uh, killed a bunch of them. The wild animals had killed a bunch of them. The terrain with the huge waterfalls coming down had killed a lot more. And can't you imagine on the boat going from the island up to southern Turkey? What are the sailors talking about? Where are you guys going? Oh, we're going up there. You're going there? Don't you know that's dangerous? Man, you could die up there. And could you imagine the young man going, I'm going to die. I I don't want to die. What's this? No, I didn't sign up for this stuff. And then he leaves. Maybe that was it. Maybe it was something else. Maybe it was relational. You know, maybe, you know, here's the kid, he's, he's gone, and he, he's not used to Saul, who is now Paul by this time in the story. He's changed his name. And this Paul, we later on hear that this Paul is the guy that, in 1 Corinthians 5, says, turn that man over to Satan for the destruction of his soul. That Paul. Now, this kid had to serve that Paul. 
And maybe Paul was a little tough to live with. Hey, John Mark, where's the firewood? Come on, come on, kid, get out of bed. Come on, would you, where is the food? Come on, come on, John Mark, would you get it together here now? Maybe that was going on. I've had it. I don't need this stuff. I'm out of here. Or maybe the kid was just flat lazy. I don't want to do all this stuff. I'm going home to mom. Whatever the reason, John Marks leaves, and you think, well, it wasn't that big a deal, was it? Let's go to chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse 36. Chronologically, this is five years later. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. And here's the story. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the brothers in the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. Hmm. All right, so what happened? Well, five years had passed, and somehow John Mark had resumed that position of the man with potential, the man who was going someplace. This young man, he's got it together, and Barnabas sees it in his little cousin or whatever, nephew, whatever he was, and he says, man, I want to take this guy again. He's worth something. Now, Barnabas, he's done this before because he did that to Paul. In Acts chapter 11, he brought Paul out of obscurity into his place of ministry. Barnabas, this is what he did, and so he takes John Mark. Come on, let's go again, and, and Paul, I I want to take John Mark with me. And what did Paul say? Oh, man, that's great. Let's do that. No. Look at this verse, verse 38. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Five years ago. Do you think Paul kind of had it out against this kid? Do you think he'd kind of put him on his blacklist or something? And that kid, we gave him a chance, he blew it. No, I don't want to have anything to do with the kid. Can you see the discussion between Barnabas and Paul? Barnabas, hey, hey, John Mark, he's worked the principles. He's, he's really doing good now. Yeah, I know he screwed up. I know he really shot himself in the foot. But, you know, he's really, I've been watching him, Paul. He's really doing good. Paul says, no way. I am not dealing with that young man. That young man cannot be trusted. That young man will just desert us again. I don't, I'm not going to, no. I will have nothing to do with that young man. And the Bible says in the next verse, they had such a sharp disagreement. We don't see this anywhere else in the New Testament. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company, two mature apostles. They parted company over this guy. Barnabas took Mark and sailed into obscurity. The Bible doesn't tell us anything more about Barnabas and John Mark as they sailed to Cyprus. Neither does history. Verse 40, but Paul chose Silas and left, committed by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So here Barnabas is restoring John Mark, but Paul said, no, nah, no way. That kid, I remember, I can't trust him. No, we're not taking him. Big disagreement they split. It was five years after the event. Have you ever done something stupid in your life? Have you ever messed up somehow, like leaving your cell phone on during church? Have you, have you really done something that you just feel really, really bad about now and 
preachers talking about you, whatever. I, I mean, in your life, have you ever really, really messed up? Then how do you feel when you really try to get restored and you really try to get back on track and people aren't letting you? I think you relate with John Mark. So the Bible continues to talk about John Mark over in Colossians. I'll turn to it real quick. Colossians 4, verse 10. This was written some 18 years later after the event. Paul is writing. And he says, my fellow prisoner, Paul's in jail now, Aristarchus sends you his greeting, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. And here in parentheses, you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. I find that phrase fascinating. If he comes to you, welcome him because you've received instructions about him before now. What do you think Paul would have said before about John Mark? Did he need to change the directions he had given before? Hey, if John Mark comes to you, watch out for that kid. I don't trust him. You just can't trust that guy. You know, you know him. I know him well. Is that the instruction that was given or was it something more innocuous? We don't know. But the idea, if he comes to you, Paul felt the need to say, welcome him now. That I find fascinating 18 years after the event. Philemon, verse 23 and 24, was written at the same time, and it was uh, the, the carrier of this letter was also probably carried the letter to Colossae. And he says this, Paul says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So now 18 years after the event, John Mark has finally been elevated to the status of my fellow worker. Let's look at the last mention of John Mark here in 2 Timothy chapter 4.11. This is written some 22 years after the event. This is written just weeks or months before Paul himself is martyred. It's the, one of the last things that he wrote in life. In 2 Timothy 4.11, he says this, Only Luke is with me. He's in jail. He's in prison in Rome. He's ready to be uh, martyred. Only Luke is with me. But get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. 22 years it took Paul to really put an accolade after the name John Mark. He really did him dirt. I want to talk about restoration the last few minutes here. Let's talk about restoration. And I have three thoughts. It's on your bulletin if you've been following along on the back page of your bulletin. Number one, restoration begins with a revelation. A revelation. Here's a phrase I'm going to use. I said in the first service, I'll say it again. It's a phrase I'm borrowing from Pastor Ben. Uh, I may never say this phrase again the rest of my life, but restoration begins with a revelation. Here's the revelation. I am jacked up. Does that sound like Pastor Ben? I'm jacked up. Yeah. All right. And so here that revelation comes. Luke 15, verse 17, is the story of the prodigal. And it says, when he came to his senses, the prodigal, what was he doing? 
he had he got his inheritance, went out and spent it all on prostitutes and living and, and blew all his money and he was living with the pigs and the mud. And it says, when he came to his senses, in the Greek language, it has the connotation of temporary insanity. He was going through a little temporary insanity and when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare and here I am starving to death. He came to his senses, you know, if you want to have a time of restoration, where it starts is right here in the brain. It starts with a revelation, and it comes through the Spirit of God. John 6, verse 44 says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. You cannot initiate this process. It's a process initiated by the Holy Spirit in your life. It's the Holy Spirit crooking his finger at you and saying, Okay, now it's time. That drawing of the spirit, that wooing of, okay, now it's time. You've messed around long enough. You've screwed up long enough. Come on now, let's get it together. And that drawing of the Holy Spirit coming to you, and you have, a, you have an opportunity to respond. You can say yes, or you can say no. I'm going to continue in the mud and the muck and the mire. I'm going I'm to continue enjoying the uh, sin for a moment here. Or you can respond, and responding would bring you to the second step in restoration, as I see it here. Restoration, number two, continues with repentance. Repentance. What is repentance? Now, repentance is used in, repent is used in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, in the New Testament, in the Greek. There's lots of words in both that describe this re, uh, repentance. Basically, it comes down to this. Repentance is a change of mind resulting in a change of life. A change of mind resulting in a change of life. Can I tell you this? This is where it all starts. The battlefield is in the mind. It all starts right there. And when the spirit comes to you, it's mentally first, and you're responding mentally. You're saying yes. And what does that look like? It is repentance. Changing your mind and agreeing with God and then changing your life. Basically, repentance is a turning around. How many of you have been skateboarding at one time in your life? Yeah? It's four hands? Five? Yeah? Okay. All right. Oh, there's a few more. Okay, ten hands. All right. You're looking at one of the original skateboarders in the world. Right here. When I was a kid, that's when the first skateboard was professionally sold. All right? So up until that time, what we did was we had a piece of wood, and then we would take apart our skates, roller skates from our shoes that attached to our shoes, break those apart, and nail those to a bottom of a piece of wood, and then we would go. And then all of a sudden, one day, my mom found in um, a Kmart or Sears or someplace, I don't know, <coughs> she found a skateboard. It had a skull and crossbones on it. You know, it was really, I remember it clearly, and I still remember it. If I ever wear shorts, you can see the scars on both knees from my skateboarding experience because I had the metal wheels. You're skateboarding along, you hit a little anything, and the board stops, and you go flying. And I went flying so often, but I remember this term from skateboarding here, and later on, as they developed the term, if you're going to flip a 180, you're cruising along on your skateboard, you're going to put your foot down, you're going to lift up, and then you're going to flip a 180 like this, and you're going to go the other direction. That is the essence of repentance. You were going your own way, and then you had a change of mind after the wooing of the Holy Spirit, and you said, okay, I'm screwing up. I'm going the wrong way. I need to change. And then you repent 
Oh, God, forgive me. And you go the other direction. First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Repentance is one of the main themes in the New Testament. John the Baptist came preaching repentance. Jesus came preaching repentance. After Acts chapter 2, when the baptism of the Holy Spirit was poured out, Peter gets up to preach in Acts 2, verse 37. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, this is what you got to do. Repent and be baptized. So this is what we all have to do. This is the same way we've gone for 2,000 years now. We repent and then we get water baptized. If you've not been water baptized, fortunately for you, we've got one coming up the end of the month. If you've not repented, you can do it today, right now. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive a gift. It's not something that's mandatory, but it's there. It's open-handed from God. If you want this gift, you can have it. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. There's that gift. It's available to you. This promise is for you, your children, for all who are far off. That means you and me today. Repentance. So if we want to be restored, where does it start? It starts with a revelation. It goes into repentance where we are consumed and we change our life according to the change of the mind and we turn our direction and then what happens? Restoration is complete when you are restored. Restoration. What does it mean? Restoration is defined like this. It's defined as the bringing of something back to its original order or purpose. God has a purpose for every one of you. When we screw up, when we shoot ourselves in the foot, when we go sideways, that plan is put on hold until we get our lives back on track. When you are repenting, you are in that process of being restored by God where God can bring you back to your original purpose, your original why you were created. It's one of our themes here at church. We encounter Jesus, we know his love, and then we live his plan. God has a plan for you. Maybe today you're like John Mark and you've really messed up. Well, what's the word for today? Restoration. Restor it begins with repentance there. Revelation, repentance. And with God, that's an immediate process. You confess your sins. You confess how you screwed up and immediately God forgives you. Immediately you are cleansed by God. Immediately you are set right in a right place with God. That can happen right immediately. But then the process is with people. Maybe you've lost a little trust somewhere along the line and people are not believing in you anymore. That could be a process that you work through. Did John Mark work through it? Sure he did. John Mark later on became an apostle, established a church in Alexandria. He authored the epistle there that we're reading there, John Mark, uh, the Mark's gospel. He also eventually became a martyr, burned alive under the auspices of Nero, emperor of Rome, doing the will of God. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.